Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die. My name's Bond. James Bond. Names is for tombstones, baby. Waste him now. James Bond is back, and wherever he drops in, it can mean only one thing. Trouble! This is the Bond adventure with more excitement, more action, more danger, and more. Much more. Roger Moore as James Bond, 007. Double O Seven is on a worldwide manhunt. The body count is going up. Bond stops to visit. He leaves his mark on everything. They'll kill you. They will kill us. Love was lesson number two. Togetherness. Is there time before we leave for lesson number three? Absolutely. be joined together because Bond is on the move and if you miss this one you'll miss the most exciting 007 adventure of them all
me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey there, this is John Oates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome you tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioandCars.com. Good evening, Tommy. Good evening, Robert. Is what live? Well, I don't know. Is that YouTube thing working? Is that thing I you know, you know me? I'm tech. Uh, what's the word they say? Well, I don't think you're going to see it up there. No. Well, anyway, because half the time I don't know whether I'm looking up there or not. You know, it is live, and you can see Robert on YouTube right now. Okay. Well, that's good. So as long as you say so, I believe you. Okay. Because you know me, I'm. Uh, well, what's it? What's that word when they say? Well, I deal with the YouTube, so I know it's working. And Facebook, that's your problem. No, that's my problem. We don't care about F book. You know, F book. Anyway, uh, we got a great show for you tonight, and it is. What is this? Well, it's not 10-4, it's 10-5. So yesterday was 10-4, good buddy. And uh, so today 10-5, today is the first show of Rocktober. And as promised, we have a musical guest for you. A uh, pretty interesting guy. Had some pretty amazing hits back in the 70s. And actually, he's got a new album out. So we're looking forward to having him on in a few minutes here. So anyway, um, let me go back to my story of last week, okay, when I was driving down the road. And I wasn't going to tell you too much information, but I remember I told you about the Sixth Sense. And so the 61 Ford, I ended up picking it up. It was a 61 Ford convertible. And uh, the interesting thing was is that, like I said, uh, it had that bubble um, teardrop hood scoop on it, which, okay, fast forward. So we got the thing back to the shop, and we start dissecting. And I did pull a tranny out of it. And I stand corrected because I wasn't sure. I was just kind of glancing at it. It was kind of in the cover. It was all messed up a little bit. But once I got the thing out of the back, uh, out of the car, it was sitting in the front floorboard and it was kind of wedged in there. It turns out that it is a big block, big input shaft, uh, four speed. And uh, it's a long tail shaft. So the short tail shaft for like Mustangs and Cougars and those cars, they use a 14 inch tail shaft. And on the longer ones, the Torinos and the Fairlands and Galaxies, they use a 17 inch tail shaft. So this one was a 17. But they had dual bolt patterns on some of the uh, transmissions. And don't ask me why transmission tail shafts on the short ones and on the long ones. And uh, so at first glance, it just kind of fooled me a little bit. And keep in mind, I've been doing this for so long that I've probably forgot more than, than you know, a lot of people know. Because that's all it is, eat, sleep, and, eat, sleep and, and, and drink this weird stuff, these rare Ford goodies. You know, especially since I was in the salvage yard business for so many years, it was kind of like a natural thing. I mean, you would scour the countryside for them. Anyway, and uh, as it turned out, it's a big input shaft, big output shaft. So it's an inch and three-eighths. The small one is an inch and, I think, a sixteenth and with a ten-spline input shaft. And the, out, the rear tail shaft spline is 31 on the big and 28 on the... Small. It's kind of the same thing with the axles. The axles on a small 9-inch, for example, a 28 spline, and on the heavy-duty ones, the big heavy-duty ones that they use in the you know high-performance cars, they're 31 spline. And, of course, most of the trucks use 31 spline. 
So here you are, you're getting an education on high-performance Ford stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it was locked up when I first got it, but I played with it, oiled it up, massaged it, drained all the water out of it because it had been sitting out forever. And I actually got it to go through all the gears. It rode through the gears. It actually had an old aftermarket Hearst shifter on it, too, and it was all intact, too. So I cleaned it up with a little bit of steel wool, so now it's, uh, it's ready for market, as they say. But uh, so back to the motor, I still haven't got to pull the motor out. But, like I said, it had 428 Cobra Jet heads on it, and the date code on it was 69. The casting numbers was uh, 6090-N, so that's 428 Cobra Jets, plus the, the bolt holes on the, where the exhaust manifolds, 16-bolt bolt holes. So, and then it's got the big in, uh, 406 uh, or 390 GT, or not 390 GT, but high-performance 390 exhaust manifolds on the short ones. There's long ones and short ones. At first I, I first glance, I thought they were the long ones, but it turned out to be the shorties. No big deal. Somebody out there wants those things. And, of course, it's got the T-oil paint on it, you know, which is an aftermarket one, which they put which has extra baffling in it. So this is a drag car. So here, here about a week goes by, and I, I, I'm able to contact the guy that actually owned this car at one point in time because I bought it out of a storage unit. And uh, so I was talking to the guy, and he said, yeah, man, that's a 428 uh, Super Cobra Jet out of a 69 Mustang. Well, it's 69's a date code on the heads. I don't know about the rest of the motor, because on an FE motor, you can't tell whether it's a 390, a 406, or a 352, or whatever else they made, short of a 427, because they're side bolts, uh, side cross bolt mains. But uh, all the rest of them, you can't tell unless you pull a head off and you measure the bore. And the bore on a, on a 428 is 413, and the bore on... Uh, 390 is 406. So we're at that stage where we got to get the motor out. But anyway, so I was able to contact the owner, and it was we had a really cool conversation. He used to drag race his car on the street back up in Massachusetts, and uh, the place that they used to drag race up in Massachusetts was uh, no place except the streets. But they used to do, do a drag strip up in New Hampshire, and I can't think of the name of it. It slips me because he told me ten times, and I asked him eleven times. So, just to show you that dementia is setting in, and I can't remember squat. I was going to use another word, but it's also four letters, right? So that's, but squat works fine. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I can't remember Q. Hey, I like that. I can't remember Q. Okay, Q. That's a radio thing, right? Q, Q in, Q out. But at any rate, so, uh, and then he was telling me that it's got 467s in it, gears, and of course I knew it had the axles in there, the Summers Brothers axles, because you can see the long studs on it. So I don't know, I haven't been underneath the car, so I don't know if it's a nodular rear end or just a regular 9-inch, but it does have, supposedly, 467s or 4 whatever, something, high 4s. Posi. So that remains to be seen. But the more I was looking at the car, I was going, you know, this is kind of a cool old car. So, and of course, you know, as you get older, you kind of like, you kind of mellow out a little bit. You have enthusiasm, you have motivation, but you just kind of like, mm, okay. So the car's not worth restoring. But I've always liked this. And if you ever watch Road, was it Roadkill TV? You know, uh, Mike and his partner on there, you know, they always mess around with some sort of beater. I'm kind of into that. So I got to thinking about this car a little bit. I thought, well, you know what? If you t passed a few holes with, uh, you know, some used stop signs or yield signs, you may just liberate off the side of a dead-end road. Um, you could probably stitch this thing back together with some pop metal screws or, pop, yeah, some 
I mean, uh, pop rivets and a few things like that. Throw a running driving engine in there. Throw a three-speed in this. It's got the pedal assembly in there. Um, yeah, you can throw this old bad boy on the road. And, you know, it's kind of like I was telling a story when I rolled up in, in uh, one of the car shows a long time ago. I had this old beat-up 55 Chevy on the back. I mean, it was so rusty. The quarter panels were flopping as I was going down the road. But it had a really heavy flip nose front end on it. But it also had a Ford F100 straight axle underneath it. And it had a... Uh, um, it had a uh, eight three quarter uh, uh, Mopar rear end under it, so I thought, well, the only fitting thing to do to make it all part of the big three would be to throw a Ford motor in it, which you know I probably would have. Anyway, I rolled up into Burger King driveway or parking lot with that thing. Of course, you know everybody's got their cool cars, but when I rolled in with that thing, I was sitting on the back of my rollback. You couldn't miss it. It was like dro- rolling through there with a trophy. I had to parade it through, of course, to gather attention. Everybody came running over it, looking at it. Now, nobody knew really how bad it was until they got there and they looked at it, but a lot of people took a lot of interest in the car, and, of course, that's uh, we promptly sold it shortly thereafter because there was some interest in it. And the, 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 the thing about building old-school hot rods, there's a market for that, you know, and you don't have to make these cars show perfect. There is a certain group of people out there, and I'm not going to say the rat rod crowd because I'm not into the rat rod. I'm more old-school hot rodder, but, you know, back in the day, you didn't have a lot of money, so you just slapped it together. You might not have been able to get this thing tacked at a drag strip but going down the road as it's you know as you're busting gears um you know and rust is blowing off the back end of the car yeah, you're having fun i mean you're modeling iron it in a little bit so anyway on that note tommy's going to go ahead and fire up the stereo you know i think we're using a transistor radio today an old rca or something like that something you might have bought at bellis hess or white front or something like that but anyway you tune into nostalgic radio and cars and i think we're going to go with some 70s music here right now. Oh, how about a little uh, Walter Egan and Magnet and Steel? Hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgia Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. There's a hint for tonight's show. Ah! 
Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I know I don't sing. But anyway, so anyway, so I thought, well, you know, we need to build like this a couple old street cars. Now I you know a guy, a friend of mine's got a sixty nine Roadrunner. No, sixty eight. No, what is it? A sixty sixty eight GTX. And it's the original Hemi car, it's a J code. And uh it's Rough, rough, really rough. But that's what we talked about doing to that thing a long time ago. Then another friend of mine's got a beat-up old Mustang, and I happen to have an old beat-up Mustang laying around that we were going to make an old gasser-looking kind of thing out of it. So thinking about uh, maybe doing something like that and calling it the FL Beaters Car Club. What do you think of that, Tommy? FLBeaters.CarClub.com. You know, for the guys that, like myself, that don't have a lot of money but have a little talent and a lot of gumption. Gumption? Does that sound right? Gumption? Just, you know. That is correct. That, speed freaks. My buddy I Jay. I up. Yeah. My buddy Jay stopped by the shop the other day, and he's always got some cool stuff. He's I'm going to have to get him on the show one day. He's an old school hot rodder from way back when. Mopar guy, but I won't hold that against him. But he always digs up some really cool stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, old Fenton aluminum flathead ford parts or home and moody parts or early edelbrock stuff or just weird cool stuff the other day he came by and he had a set of early early but rare not 15 or 16 inch, but 17 inch um magnesium spindles spindle rims you know like the spoke loom like you see on a dragster or a gasser or something like that pretty neat i mean they're worth like a thousand bucks a piece but they're cool i mean you really can't use them but for a static display they're really wicked because they're vintage, you know. And then I was looking at all the other stuff. He had trips in there, you know, for an old uh, Y block Ford and actually for some Oldsmobile stuff, a pair of quads. And uh, he pulled out his one manifold for an old Chevy six cylinder. And it had, it was set up for five carburetors. Now, I've never seen that. I've seen six, you know, on a V8, six on Hemi's, six on, but this was an old, uh, Aluminum intake manifold made by an aftermarket company because back in the day, you know, six-cylinder Chevrolets and six-cylinder Fords were raced, you know, because, you know, you'd race anything. That's just the way it was, you know. I mean, if he could make it go fast, if it was a, you know, four-cylinder, six-cylinder, eight-cylinder, 12-cylinder, whatever-cylinder, one-cylinder, that's just what we did. That's what gearheads do. They just make things go fast. And uh, But stick around. we got some... Uh, Interesting guys coming on the show here in the next couple of months. Um, 
And uh, like I said, but this is Rocktober, so we're going to stick with music. And we're going to cover a little differently. We're going to talk a little bit about music. We're going to probably have a PR guy come on, talk a little bit about how the music industry works a little bit, at least from the public relations side. So it should be interesting, and uh, we look forward to it. In the meantime, I think Tommy's going to fire up the stereo, and we're going to go ahead and get our guests on the show now. So you're tuned into Nostalgic Green Cars. Here's a little Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Well, Tom Petty, anyway. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Green Cars. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back. Told me goodbye So don't think about it You can go crazy Anything can happen Anything can be Don't try to fight it Don't try to save me She's a woman in love This is Brian Johnson of ACDC, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, guys, we're back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our very special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a musical legend, number countless hit songs out of the 70s, national recording artist Walter Egan. How are you this evening? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Is this Robert? This is Robert. How are you doing? And I am thrilled to have you on the show this evening. Well, my thrill. You know what? We I played. Thank you. I uh, played your song uh, "Magnet and Steel" a little earlier in the show, and I have to tell you that back in the day, this is in the '70s. I was going to junior college here in Clearwater, Florida, and I was working construction over the summer. And that song used to come on all the time as I was driving to work. Well, at the time, I was dating my now wife of 39 years. So every time I hear that song, it brings back very, very good memories. So thank you. Well, I'm glad that they have sustained through the years. <laughs> that doesn't work out so well. But yeah, no, that, uh, that was a great year for me, I must say. So give us a little background on yourself. I understand you graduated from Georgetown University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in uh, art. In, in art. Yeah. Bachelor of Arts, that's what I used to call it. 
Um, yeah. Not too many people went to Georgetown for art, but, but you know, I've always gone against the grain. And uh, I had a band there called Sageworth. We played a lot and uh, got to know some of the other people playing that circuit, one of which was Emmy Lou Harris. And uh, got to be good friends with Emmy Lou. I was a big fan of uh, the Birds through that period, the sixties and the mid sixties. You know, they were a great psychedelic folk rock band. Yep. And then all of a sudden they start doing this country stuff, and that took us by surprise because uh, in those days, country and and the hippies didn't really blend too well. It was more, <laughs> you know, rednecks versus the hippies. So, so this was pretty radical to have. Uh, a, a rock band playing uh, country music. Well, you their tongues in their cheeks. You know what I mean. Yeah. Well, you also crossed paths with Graham Parsons, who's from Florida, who played with the Birds and then went on his own. That, that, that's kind of what I was getting to. Yeah. Um, you know, Graham had to hijack the Birds, and so I became intrigued with him and a fan of country music as well as of his. And so when Emmy Lou got approached to sing with Graham. She wasn't familiar with his work, and so I had to take her aside and play Gilded Palace of Sin and Sweetheart of the Rodeo for her. And uh, then the next day when Graham came to town, I offered my kitchen for them to uh, do their first sing together. And, uh, and so I happened to be the audience when those voices blended for the first time. And so that was a pretty exciting moment for me. Um, Graham inspired me to write uh, this tune called Hearts on Fire, which he and Emmy recorded on their last album together, the Grievous Angel album. And so I had that as my calling card. And when my East Coast band broke up, I moved to California and uh, figured I would see what I could do. I had met Linda Ronstadt and some of her backing band in those days happened to be the Eagles, Glenn Fry and uh, Don Henley. So... You know, I kind of fell in with those people. Um, then, through a weird happenstance of doing demos at this studio out in Van Nuys, this kind of funky old studio called Sound City, I uh, happened to eventually get uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks to be my producers. And, you know, of course, at that point, I wasn't even familiar with who... Buckingham Nicks was, and uh, I knew Fleetwood Mac, but that was like a blues band, and I don't think I was doing blues. And so it was this kind of interesting meeting point out there in Van Nuys, and uh, getting to know Lindsay, I found that we had a lot in common. Getting to know Stevie, of course, uh, you know, basically changed my life, I suppose you'd have to say, since I wrote Magnet and Steel about her. So, you know. One door leads to the other. You never know what's behind the next door you open up. And so, uh, and there, you know, and I haven't looked back, so so to speak. Put out my 14th album this year, a thing called Fascination, which is also about a famous woman named Pamela DeBar. It's interesting you mention that because we had her, uh, her husband, I'm not sure if they're still married, but Mike was on our show a number of years ago. And uh, so I immediately recognized the name, but I had done some research because there was a uh, story about, you know, Laurel Canyon back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, and she was basically, like you said, she's a groupie, and she kind of knew all the bands, and there were some stories 
uh, associated with it. So, so how how does this come? Because you get the song in there, Miss Pamela, and then there's another one, and I'm not sure if it's referencing her as well. It's called "I'm with the Girl." Are both those songs about Pam? Pamela? The whole the whole album is about the whole, Pam. okay. <laughs> and so, uh, my I was moving out to well, I do gigs with a band out there called the Malibus, and the Malibus are kind of an extension of my high school band. Okay. And my daughter, who is now 26, this was back about 2014, uh, she was about to move out to L.A., and she said, now, don't get this wrong, Dad, but I really love this book. And the book was Pamela's book, I'm with the band. Mm -hmm. I said, well, it's really funny. I'm kind of friends with her on Facebook. Let's see what she's up to. And she invited us to come by, and, uh, you know, Daphne got to meet her, and that's my daughter. And I got to... uh, kind of sit there and talk with her for a while and realize she was still a very attractive woman. And so this infatuation was born at that point. And, I, you know, as a songwriter, what do you do to try to impress your girl? You know, you write a song about it. And so basically, every time I'd get to see Pamela, which is maybe four or five times a year, I'd wind up writing a new song about the, the situation, trying to win her heart, as it were, and uh, ultimately, that became the album. <laughs> and when it didn't work out, I kind of put the album away. And uh, I have a guy in England who puts out some of my records, and I, I ran into him in 2019. And I gave him a stack of CDs of, of unreleased material, you know, saying, hey, you want to put them this out? And so as the COVID struck back in March 2020, I got in touch with him because of a weird dream I had about him. And uh, he said, well, I'm starting my label again. What's this Pamela album? And so I went from there. And and so even though the music business had pretty much shut down for the year, my career seemed to be still alive as we put together this new album. And so it was kind of a fun fun revisit to uh, these songs, which, you know, I mean... It's it's a story that most people can relate to. You know, you fall in love, or you think you fall in love, and then it doesn't get returned. You get the unrequited ending, and, you know, what do you do with it? You write an album and put it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask you this, because I'm a car guy. Um you referenced GTO and uh, GTO in that and in, in, in the song, and then also the other song, the blonde and the blue T bird. Oh, so, yeah. so do you have a thing for cars too? Because you kind of described you're actually driving a '59 Chevy in that movie or in that video too. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But did you check the video out? Yeah, of course I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's with Stevie as the blonde and the blue teeth. It is Stevie Nicks. Okay, I wasn't sure, yeah. but I thought it might have been her. Yes, indeed. You know, it's uh, part of the illusion of uh, showbiz. You know, you get to live out your fantasy, or at least the illusion of it. So what's yeah, a no? It, uh, I love cars, of course, but coming from New York, it's not exactly a great car place. Moving to LA, I got a little bit more into cars. Oh, okay. And uh, and you know, being a beach Beach Boy fan, I've always uh, had a, a love of that. In the Malibus, we did a, a song called uh, "She's Real Great," my three hundred eight <laughs> Ferrari. Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, my partner in that band, John Zambetti, he is much more of a car guy than I am, but. You know, I have uh, always included cars in the uh, in the in the, uh, the wooing of my uh, 
girls. (laughs) Okay, well, they go hand in hand. They do. Well, cars, girls, and guitars. And that was that's my next thing. Because every once in a while, I see you playing a Les Paul, but you seem to have a a thing for Strats, and I'm a Strat guy too. So, uh. Uh, you know. I only had that Les Paul for a short time, right around the time I recorded Magnum Steel. Uh-huh. So, uh, so technically, I played the lead on the on that Les Paul. Uh huh. But it was too heavy around my neck. I love Strat, and I've always loved Strat. My first electric was a you know brand new '64 Fender Strat. And, uh, back in those days, there was only one. You know, a Strat is a Strat. It's not a Mexican Strat, or it's not a this Strat or a that Strat. It was the Strat. It's a Fender Strat, a Leo Fender Strat. I love that guitar. I wish I still had it, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of guitars like that through the years. Currently, I have a 68 Strat that I've been playing for a number of years now. So do you look for vintage guitars? I mean, do they play differently? Do they feel differently to you? I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years, you know, and personally, I, I there's something about the wood, something about the feel. I'm not a great player. I'm just rhythm a little bit, but I have an old 70s strat it's a hardtail it's not a you know doesn't have a whammy bar on or anything like that but it's and it's eight pounds a little over eight pounds it's heavy but it's just got a feel it's got a sound to it and it's sustained it's just i can't compare it to anything the new stuff's not like it no it's not it's uh you know i think through the years it's the uh the effect of well we'll try this wood instead of that wood and you know we can cut a cost by doing this or that I, I believe in the old stuff myself, definitely. So what was it like um, when you first started out? Okay, so you said Lindsay and Stevie produced your first song. Take us through the production process. How does that work? So you write the song, you play that, and then you basically go in a studio, and then they, they record it. But there's more to it. So tell us about <laughs> how, how it kind of works. Just, people just think, it's kind of like the radio. They think, well, I just sit in the radio and I push a couple buttons. Or I don't. Tom, Tommy does. I'm in the, stu- in the, 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 the mic side. <laughs> um, you know, they produced my first, my first and my second album. The first album was actually Lindsay and Stevie technically as producers. Mm-hmm. second album was Lindsay a guy named Richard Dashwood and myself were the producers, and, and Stevie just came in and sang on that. But yeah, you know, of course, I started writing songs when I was 16 years old, and so I had a, a large collection of songs ready to go by the time I got my first uh, deal offered to me, which come, it came from doing a, a hoot night at the Troubadour in L.A. And, uh, and so once I had the deal, I had to get the producers, and just happened that Lindsay and Stevie wanted to, you know, keep their name outside of Leewood Mac. So I got together with Lindsay primarily, started playing these songs for him, and I said, well, you know, which ones do you like? And thankfully, he liked most of the same ones I did. And so we proceeded from there, and we had to put the band together since deal was offered to me and not the band that I happened to be playing in at the time out in Claremont. So that was a little bit sticky at first, but uh, I, you know, was able to get some great players. A guy named John Ware who played drums. He also played for Emmy Lou and for Linda and for, uh, you know, a lot of people. J- Michael Nesmith's first really? original band. He was in that band as well. So yeah, John Ware was like the anchor for the whole band. John Selk played bass. He had been playing bass for Johnny Tillotson and the Bellamy Brothers before I met him. And so that was a great rhythm section to start with. And then 
you know, me and Lindsay basically did a lot of the guitar work. Um, we got a keyboard player named Bill Cuomo on that first album. And he, you know, he was a great session guy. And then from there, I built my own touring band, and that was the band that was on the second album. And that uh, included Michael Huey on drums. But, but yeah, you know, the way the, the recording process goes, I would play the song and do a scratch vocal with the, the rhythm section primarily, maybe one of the other players, maybe the keyboard player, but usually that was done in overdubs. And, uh, you know, you build it from there. Uh, these days, you know, you do things one piece at a time, which is kind of strange to me. I uh, basically did the Fascination album that way with a great drummer named Ronnie Krasinski, and then I did all the other stuff on there. <laughs> so, you know, I would uh, play the rhythm track with him, and then I would overdub the bass, overdub another rhythm guitar, keyboards, you know, everything. Does it so get kind of confusing, though, a little bit? Yeah, to a certain degree, um, but there's a logic to it. And, you know, once you get the basic tracks in there, then you try to get the the keeper vocal. And once you get that, then you try to think, well, what would be good with that? Sometimes the arrangements come to you as you write the song. Sometimes they come out of it. For example, a magnet and steel, that, that kind of doo-wop feel to it was something that I was trying to do. I I, I'm old enough to remember the great doo-wop music of the 50s and the early 60s. And so I was trying to bring that sound back a little bit. The lyrics came after Stevie did this amazing background vocal on uh, a song of mine called Tunnel of Love, which is my uh, most salacious song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, and as I was driving home, I saw this, this car pulled in front of me on the 101 freeway. It was very late at night, and it was one of those pimp mobiles. It was, uh, you being a car guy, it was a lowered Lincoln Continental with a diamond window and the effects light. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The classic 70s yeah. pimp mobile, right? Gotcha. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Digging in the scene with the gangster scene. Uh huh. Let's do a little uh, Curtis uh, Mayfield there, right? Okay. Exactly, exactly. Well, and the license plate said, not shy. Oh, for some reason, I took that as a message from from whatever the universe telling me album to incorporate that. And, and by the time I got home, it took me about twenty minutes to finish the lyrics to Magnum Steel and with the whole "with you, I'm not shy" thing. And so, uh, hey, you know, weird things happen. I was fortunate to have those people before they took off like rockets, and God, who knew that Stevie was going to be this icon of generations you know i mean which is pretty incredible to me um that uh, my daughter knows who she is and uh, you know young people that i meet oh, you sign with stevie nicks you know so which is kind of cool but you know after exhausting that uh, first album's worth of songs then you're on your own you know then you start writing new stuff and trying to you know, pick out the best of the old stuff with the best of the new stuff, and and I've you know kind of done that through my life. <laughs> you know, I'm still writing songs. I started when I was 16. I was inspired by uh, the leader of the pack, the Shangri-La song. Uh huh. You might remember that. Yes. Yeah. 
Rum, rum, motorcycle thing, leader of the pack, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got to meet uh, Mary Weiss, who was the lead singer of the Shangri-Las. Oh, wow. I told her that, that uh, her song had, had you know, started me on my career of being a songwriter. And she said, oh, God, I wish you could have picked it more, a better song. <laughs> you know, that's the... So when did, how old were you when you started playing guitar, and what got you into playing guitar? Um, I was 15 years old when I got my first guitar. I, uh, you know, of course, I was aware of, uh, you know, popular music and Elvis and his guitar and all that. I was an only child, but I have a cousin who's 15 minutes younger than me. And so we kind of grew up together as brothers. And he started playing the banjo about six months before uh, this birthday where I got my first guitar. I had been on vacation with my parents in Nantucket, and uh, there was a piano in the, in the cottage where we stayed, and I didn't want to hang out with my parents, and so I would sit in the cottage and pick out songs on the piano, and they came in one day, and they were like, oh my God, we have a prodigy. <laughs> we'll get a piano, we'll get you piano lessons. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want a piano. I got to get a guitar. And for that matter, I don't want to. I don't want lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I don't know what uh, prompted that, but I think it was thinking that you know I got enough people telling me this. I got to do that in high school. You want to have somewhere to go away from all that. And so that's what the guitar came to be for me. And uh, basically, that summer, my birthday is in the middle of July, and so. I just uh, would play it every night, and, and I had a Kingston Trio songbook that had pictures of the chords, and so I would try to figure out how to play the chords because I knew how those songs went. And so, yeah, and then, of course, that was 63, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden it was Beatlemania, and uh, my buddy John in, in high school said, if you get an electric guitar, you can be in the band. And I said, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got me that first Strat. And it uh, went on from there. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a story that is, is not uncommon in, in my generation. You know, you see Elvis on Ed Sullivan and you go, oh my God, what's that? And then by the time the Beatles hit Ed Sullivan, it was like you're ready to, to jump in on it. And so, yeah. You know, that's how it happened, and I basically taught myself to play and picked up watching my friends who knew how to play better than I did. You know, I've learned from them. I was a rhythm guitarist in the Malibus through those years. We all went to college together, and the other guitar player decided to go into pre-med. <clears throat> so I became the lead guitar, and then, you know, that was Sageworth, and that band almost got a deal a few times. But it uh, ultimately collapsed on itself, and that's when I moved to L.A. And so, uh, yeah. After the actually, in the process of writing this whole thing, my whole story, I have uh, just finished typing it all into my computer, and I'm going through it now, trying to straighten out the spelling and the syntax and everything. <laughs> now, see you hangs together. You reside outside of Nashville now, right? I do, in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay, so 
are is is Nashville kind of an ideal area for you because you're still kind of close to the music industry and and Nashville, you know, everybody thinks country music, but everything goes on in Nashville. I mean, country, rock, yeah, rhythm, know, blues, everything, right? It does. You know, it uh, it was weird because I was living in New York. I inherited the house I grew up in in Queens in the early '90s, and I lived there until '97. And, and I love New York, but it just wears you down, you know. And it was it was getting too much, and everybody was saying, "Oh man, you had to check out Nashville. Your songs would go over great there." And so, um, you know, and I had always played in these kind of country rock bands. When I was in New York, I had a band called the Wild Ponies, and we were kind of doing a Graham and Emmy, you know, kind of country rock thing. And so I came and checked out Nashville, and sure enough, you know, as a songwriter, they give you a lot of respect here, which I appreciated. And uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Rob Stranlin, who was one of the co-writers of uh, the Eagles song, Already Gone, he was living down here at the time, and he took me around, and he said, yeah, it's, it's great, you know, it's like it was when we were growing up. He was talking about Franklin, he was living down there, so... So I, I moved here to think I would be near him, and then he moved away <laughs> about a month after that, and I was on my own. But but yeah, you know, I have uh, appreciated the small townness of it, uh, even though I've grown up in New York City, lived in D.C., lived in Boston, lived in L.A. I, uh, it's kind of nice, it's small. And it's not so small anymore, actually. It's, uh, ever since that Nashville TV show, Nashville in this area has boomtown well my guess yeah, is you a lot going on here more than country music I, I was never embraced by music row as it were and uh, so I've sort of made my way around it so to speak and uh, and there's just a lot of great players here and a lot of good studios and a lot of people writing songs you know is there any artists that you uh, would like to write a song with, perform with, and if so, who would that be? Um, well, it, in the current people that are performing, I really like a lot of Lana Del Rey stuff. I think it'd be fun to do some music with her. And she actually recorded a tune with Stevie a couple of albums back. Um, but other than that, you know, I've had a lot of good opportunities through my life i've i've played guitar for wanda jackson the original female rocker i did a bunch of shows with her i played bass for the band spirit oh really which was yeah i played that for three years in the 80s i was the bass player for spirit that was a trip playing with randy california and those guys i i played lead guitar and sang with uh, randy and the rainbows whose big song denise was uh also in the book, The One-Hit Wonders, I happen to have my own page in the One-Hit Wonders book, even oh. though I feel like, you know, I've done a little bit more than that. <laughs> um, the follow-up to Magnet and Steel, Hot Summer Nights, was recorded by a group called Night, and they had a, a pretty big hit with it around the world. Um, and then, lo and behold, in 2009, Eminem used that song, Hot Summer Nights, for his song, We Made You. So that uh, that was a nice kick in the old economy for me. <laughs> he was selling a lot of records in 2009. 
Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I like Tegan and Sarah. They're a kind of a new, new band that not that new, I suppose. But you know, I've played with a lot of good people. You uh, after this one, so this is your fourteenth album now, Fascination. Um, what's on the horizon for Walter Egan? Um, well, we're already talking about the next release with Red Steel. Over there, the songs are in the can, and uh, we're just trying to come up with the title and the and the artwork at this point. Um, I'm looking forward to get out and playing beyond these these things. You know, I started doing some gigs in May. And, uh, you know, I, you're, you're out of Florida, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay area. I, yeah, I did a gig at Clearwater, the Rock the Yacht Tour, which was um, in July of 2019 with uh, Ambrosia and Player and uh, oh wow, Looking Glass and uh, Stephen Bishop and John Ford Coley. That was a real trip. The Ruth Eckert. Eckert Hall, yeah, Ruth Eckert Hall, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was a great venue, and uh, in fact, uh, I got to spend my birthday there. <laughs> oh wow! Like I, I went, I went to the Dali Museum. The Dali in Saint Petersburg, yes. I, I love that the, the virtual reality. You go into his paintings, and I was, I loved that. That was a trip. Um, but yeah, um, and. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay, they're going all the way this year, right? And that's what they say, yeah. Real quick, we got about a minute left. Let me ask you a question. Now, because you're an art student and you were involved in painting, have you ever done any album covers? <laughs> well, I've done my own album covers the last uh, three or four, actually. Okay. Um, well, actually, not Fascination, but I have one album out called Myth America. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, I uh, like the title of, and um, there's another one, Raw uh, Elegant. I had a few of my prints, uh, my woodblock prints, on Lindsay's Out of the Cradle album, and um, I think that's all right now. But but yeah, I've had a couple of exhibits of my Martyrs of Rock paintings that I've been doing over the years. And uh, if you look at my Instagram, Walter Lindsay Egan, on Instagram, you can see most of those paintings. Um, that's kind of what I use the Instagram for. Is Lindsay your yeah. middle name? Lindsay is my middle name. Yeah. What a coincidence! What a, what a weird thing! Yeah, of course that all added to the uh, the karma of the moment. Meeting Lindsay and going, oh, of course he spells it with an E Y and I spell it with an A Y, but you know. Close enough. That's close enough. All right, well, Walter, we are up against the clock, but if people want to find out more about you and where you're going to be touring and playing, how do they go about doing it? Um, well, my Facebook page is Walter Lindsay Egan. The uh, official Walter Egan Facebook page gives you a lot more of the, the recorded stuff out of England. Um, but WalterEgan.com is another good place to find me. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing in Jackson, Tennessee at the end of November on the cool 103 oldies cavalcade of old guys singing their old songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, wait a minute. Old is cool. I'm in the old. I'm old, too, so here we are. It's, uh, it works for me. Yeah, but the old and old school, that's what I always say. Yep. 
All right. Well, uh, Walter, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We would uh, look forward to having you on the show again sometime down the road, and we look forward to seeing you play someplace in concert, hopefully someplace here in uh, Florida, in the Tampa Bay area. I hope so, too. It's been a pleasure, Robert, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Good luck to you and your 15th album. All right. Okay, take care. Hey, listeners, I want to thank my very special guest, Walter Egan, uh, national recording artist and music legend with some amazing hits out there. And uh, one of my favorites, Magnet and Steel. But anyway, hey, don't forget, check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tat Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and music. Don't forget, the rest of the month, October, is Rocktober. we got musical guests coming on. Uh, all aspects, all genres. So uh, this should be a really fascinating month, and uh, we are looking forward to here. Don't forget, see some of the music venues. Don't forget Ruth Eckert Hall, right around the corner from us here in downtown Clearwater. And, hey, car shows galore coming up. SEMA's coming up next month, the biggie. whole bunch of concourse. Stick around. I'll let you know about all that stuff. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.